On July 1st, University of South Carolina Interim President Harris Pastides released the report from the university's Title IX task force, as well as his response to it. The report comes after the reviews from both the Title IX task force and the university's audit and advisory service following complaints over the handling of harassment and assault claims from the members of the Gamecock community. I'm Will Kronsberg. And I'm Beyonce Watson. You're listening to In the Loop with SGTV News 4. This podcast is a part of Garney Media Group's podcast network. Garney Media Group is the collective partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcasts and other student work on garnetmedia.org. In an email to students, faculty, and staff, Interim President Pestides expressed satisfaction with the findings of the Title IX reports, but a need for deliberate action to bring greater equality and accountability to campus. The email outlined six clear objectives Pastides hoped to achieve as he enters his second term as president. Also, a mysterious sinkhole has opened up on the campus of the College of Charleston, which sits on a particularly low-lying part of the Low Country. And 4th of July weekend saw one unfortunate reality unfold for travelers as they saw a hike in gas prices across the country. Stick with us and we'll keep you in the loop. On March 15th of this year, now former USC President Bob Caslin created a Title IX task force among a variety of actions Caslin said the university would be taking regarding sexual violence. Since Caslin's resignation, Interim President Harris Pastides has pledged to continue to work with the task force to review all of the university's policies for dealing with accusations of assault and improper behavior. In the report given to Pastides in June and sent to students and faculty on July 1st, the task force finds that cases of sexual harassment and violence are below the national average and have increased proportionately with the university size. However, they also determined that reporting harassment and violence were particularly difficult, investigations of accusations were lacking, and educational programs for stakeholders were too infrequent and nonspecific. Following these findings, Pastides has pledged six steps to improve USC's safety and Title IX compliance. These include expanding and improving training systems, expediting the hiring of a director of equal opportunity programs, initiating the search for a dedicated Title IX coordinator, improving and implementing policies to handle sexual harassment and violence investigations, continuing to seek feedback from the university community, and providing greater access to data on violence and harassment. The task force has pinpointed research on underlying causes as well as best practices to implement as its next goals. While the university continues to search for Kaslin's permanent replacement, SGTV News 4 reporter Tyler Fedor joins us now to speak with us more about the findings for our campus community. Tyler, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Beyonce. Tyler, could you tell us what exactly is in the Title IX report that everyone a part of the Gamecock community needs to be aware of? So, yeah, I mean, there's a few general points we can go over. First, uh, one of the points it actually makes is that few cases of sexual violence that are reported are formally investigated. So uh, only a very small amount of those are investigated, and that's according to the report itself. In fact, more in terms of actual cases that have been reported, more than a 1,000 cases, I believe the exact number is 1,005. Uh, cases of sexual violence or harassment are reported at USC, were reported at USC between 2016 and 2020. 
And again, that's according to the report. And when it comes to big picture issues that the report is talking about, you got discipline or according to the report, lack thereof. The report itself says there is no faculty governed process for any sort of discipline other than termination. So essentially, if you do something wrong, you can either get fired or it quite literally says there's nothing really else besides that. The report also talked about staffing, reporting structures, and lack of a centralized form of information storage that'd be documenting like what exactly happens during an investigation process and whatnot. These are all issues that USC faces according to the report. Right, so how does President Passidis plan to implement these changes onto the USC campus with him only being a temporary replacement? Yeah, so Passidis isn't alone in this. He's already made numerous calls to action. His email, as Will said, to the USC community that went out alongside the report. And he isn't doing this alone. He's got the new Title IX implementation group that's going to go out and try and make these actions happen, make the change work. And they will assist in putting out all those recommendations to action. The Cozen O'Connor group, the legal assisting group that is helping us kind of like work this plan out, they're also going to be assisting USC by trying to take these recommendations in the report and creating tangible, real actions that can be made through the university. So even if SDs is replaced anytime soon, we'll still have systems actively working on improvements to our system. I don't think there's going to have to be a worry for someone new coming in and kind of all of a sudden full stop there. We should be fine even if he is replaced. So what changes could the Title IX task force bring to university's campus? And why is this change so important to students? So there are plenty of specifics for different areas the task force looked at, but take a general look at it first. The areas the task force wish to improve according to the report are reporting of incidents, prevention and education of sexual violence, investigation, discipline, and advocacy and support. Uh, one thing we will be seeing this fall too, that is literally coming this fall semester, is mandated and recurring education and training revolving sexual violence. This also is specific to uh, different people depending on their connection maybe to a case, maybe if you're someone's boss and someone's come to you said, hey, uh, I experienced this, you get a special set of training because you're in that certain position. And so they're, they're really trying to improve that and push that out there. Some of the recommendations included improving information storage, that can mean documenting all the steps and happenings of an investigation in a case, and taking a look at the systems and offices that are a part of the process when a case is investigated. And at the end of the day, if they can get these recommendations out, it's just gonna make students feel a lot more safer and a lot more comfortable with the USC system. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you, thank you for having me on. On June 15th of this year, a massive sinkhole opened on Charleston's Cumming Street, a major artery of the College of Charleston campus. The hole, which measured 10 feet in diameter and 8 feet deep into the earth, luckily did not consume any pedestrians or cars, but left the street impassable indefinitely. According to CFC Professor of Geology and Environmental Geosciences Norman S. Levine, the sinkhole was the result of a pre-Civil War brick storm drain collapsing below the street. Infrastructure sinkholes like this are not uncommon in the historic Charleston, as much of the drainage system in the city dates back to the 1800s. In order to repair the hole, workers had to clear all debris and cut away all affected parts of the drain to replace and restore the system, as well as the street surface, before students could return to the college next month. On 
the morning of Thursday, June 24th, a portion of the Champlain Towers South Condo Building in Surfside, Florida collapsed, leaving at least 28 dead and more than 100 uncounted for. Over the weekend, the rest of the building was demolished, citing continued structural concerns before the search for survivors could continue. Florida officials are now rushing to the apartment buildings throughout the Miami-Dade area in search of other structural concerns or dangers to residents similar to what was found at the Champlain Towers. Buildings in the area are meant to be recertified to be compliant with county law roughly every 40 years. Now, in places like Crestview Towers in Miami, the building is six years overdue for that certification and is deemed structurally unsound with concrete being cracked in its foundation, similar to Champlain. Local officials are now trying to give other residents the chance that those staying in the Champlain Towers never had, the time to leave before it's too late. Fourth of July travelers this weekend were met with lasting effects of the pandemic in the form of high prices at the gas pump. Recent gas prices hide nationwide stem from a variety of reasons namely shortages of both truck drivers to transport gasoline and of gasoline itself. Many truck drivers shifted their focus or took an early retirement when the demand for gasoline plummeted in 2020, leaving a shortage when drivers returned to the roads en masse. Currently, regular gas is reaching as high as $3 per gallon in South Carolina and even higher in neighboring states. Experts expect prices to plateau later in the month and into the next month, with some relief likely in early fall. However, the impending hurricane season could see spikes in demand that may keep gas prices high. Tell us even more now is News 4 reporter Finn Carlin. How are you, Finn? I'm doing great, Will. How are you? I'm doing well. So, Finn, coming off of Independence Day weekend, how was travel affected by these rising gas prices? Yeah, so it's more so that the travel actually impacted the rising gas prices. Now, because the economy is slowly starting to recover from the effects that COVID-19 brought on businesses and travel nationally, now that people are getting vaccinated, travel is occurring much more often, not only on the roads, but up in the air as well. And so these gas prices are starting to rise because the demand is starting to reach peaks. Now, on this Independence Day weekend, we still saw record-breaking amounts of travel, and it's really not that different from last year, except last year was much more concerning due to the effects of the pandemic, and there were still a lot of uncertainties there. Uh, but, but this Independence Day weekend, now that people are starting to get vaccinated more, people were much more comfortable traveling and that happened much more so and so gas prices actually right now are about 92 cents higher than this time last year according to reporting done by ap and also recording to the travel and fuel price tracking app called gas buddy and so really it's 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 more so that the travel was starting to really impact these these rising gas prices because people are starting to get out more these gas prices are rising because that demand is also starting to rise so with drivers more willing to brave the roads a higher demand for gas What can drivers specifically in the Palmetto State expect to see when they go to the gas station as far as prices and lines to refuel their cars? 
Yeah, of course. So the national average per gallon for gasoline right about now is around $3.09 per gallon. Uh, in South Carolina, that's going to be a little bit lower. We're actually going to be seeing, according to GasBuddy, it's going to be between $2.50 and $2.70 per gallon. Uh, now, those long lines aren't really so much existent right now as they were about a month ago when hackers were able to infiltrate a U.S. national fuel line and cut it off for a certain amount of time. People started to freak out over this. There was pandemonium. And so there were really long lines nationally. And we saw this in the Palmetto State as well. Now, this isn't so much of the case, but gas prices are still rising because people are traveling more, especially in the Palmetto State as well. And so those that, that demand for gas is rising. And so therefore, the price is also rising. So you will see increased gas prices uh, just for the next time, and it's not going to seem like it's going to be letting out much this summer. Uh, and of course, you know, it's rising along with the increased travel as a, uh, because of the Independence Day weekend that we just had. And so you won't see so much long lines as you will increasing prices. Right. So with people getting back on the roads, traveling again, maybe even going back to work, and as we move further from scares, like you mentioned with the Colonial Pipeline hack, when can drivers expect to see the price, the prices of gasoline start to correct? Yeah, of course. So as the U.S. economy is recovering from the effects that COVID-19 uh, brought onto the U.S. economy in terms of not only local businesses, small businesses, businesses nationally, but of course with travel, gas prices did start to decrease because there wasn't so much of a demand for travel in this past year. And now that so many people are starting to get out and travel more, that's of course rising once again. Uh, now the the Federal Reserve is expecting those changes to be temporary, and, and they are expecting these hikes in gas prices to be temporary, but what temporary actually means is still yet to be determined. I would say that there's no sign that the gas prices are going to be letting up this summer particularly, but over time as demand starts to slowly creep back down, that gas price nationally and in the Palmetto State will also slowly gradually start to come down a little bit. And so while gas prices nationally rising are becoming politicized, it's not so much of a political squabble as it is simply people are trapped traveling again, therefore demand for gas is rising again, just more so the natural state of the economy slowly starting to recover from the effects of COVID-19. Ben, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Though the 4th of July is behind us, there's still plenty to do in and around Columbia the rest of the summer, including some great local festivities this weekend. Right, Beyonce? That's right, but not only do we have a ton going on this weekend, but also lots of family-friendly fun heading into next weekend as well. And it all begins with the Southeast Crab Fest on this Saturday. The Southeast Crab Fest will be held this Saturday, July 10th from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. located at the Saluda Shoals Park. It's gonna be full with all-you-can-eat, fresh blue crabs, one side of fish and chips, music, and a friendly environment for the entire family to enjoy. This sounds great. I mean, you get you get the all-you-can-eat crab, a side of fish and chips, and of course there's music, a family-friendly environment, and it goes on for, for a good five hours. So this is a, a fun event to take your whole family to and just kind of experience some of that, that South Carolina magic. Right, and if you're, anybody, if you're like me, I love seafood. I love crab legs. I could probably eat crab legs every day. I'm from the low country, so we get a lot of fresh 
you know, crab and shrimp, and it's, it's all very popular down here. But if seafood is not quite your taste, there's another event coming up next Tuesday, July 13th, at the main course. It's going to be 90s TV trivia from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And of course, you need to bring your best knowledge of, of all the 90s TV shows like The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Full House, Family Matters, and these are just, you know, some of my favorite TV shows. I grew up watching reruns of 90s TV shows in the early 2000s. Same, especially when having older siblings, all I watched was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air every weekend. I remember waking up uh, early in the morning or when I was home school sick, I would be with my brother who's two years older uh, and we would watch, you know, just a marathon of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, um, you know, what, whatever was on TBS, Nickelodeon and all those, all those really fun reruns. Right, but if you're not a 90s geek, and maybe you like art more, there's going to be an opening celebration for the Iron Curtain exhibit this Friday, July 9th from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the Columbia Museum of Art. You can go there and enjoy your free admission and talk to the collector in celebration of the new exhibit focus on the Soviet art. Now, this is a great event. Um, we see a lot of modern art, maybe art from the 18th and 19th century that's sort of a traditional Western European style, but Soviet art is, is definitely has a different taste to it. I'm not an art person myself, but I'd imagine it has um, probably some some sharper imagery, probably colder colors, and, and it's you know just a new experience for us in South Carolina, I'm sure. Right. I was going to say, I think that's super cool that it's coming here to Columbia. And the Columbia Museum of Art is really beautiful. If you have a chance just to go to visit, it's really amazing. Absolutely. And that's going to be this Friday, almost all day, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, luckily, that event will be indoors as it will be another wet and rainy week in Columbia with temperatures reaching into the low 90s and rains expected through the end of the work week as Tropical Storm Elsa passes through Columbia. The high for today is 90 and the low is 72, but thunderstorms are expected this afternoon, so bring an umbrella wherever you go. Over in the stock market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 265 points, the Nasdaq decreased by 6 points, and the S&P 500 fell by 16 points. Keeping you in the loop, I'm Will Kronzberg. And I'm Beyonce Watson. You're listening to SGTV News 4. Join us next week to stay in the loop.